0: If you've ever been joked, if you've ever been excluded, if you've ever been left out, if you've ever been sidelined, if you've ever been harassed, that's life. But if any of those things came as a direct, Result of your allegiance to, proclamation of, and identification with Jesus Christ, that's Christian. Anyone who complains and runs down the litany of how unfair they're being treated, most of us say, well, that's life. But the moment you run that same list down and say, but all because they found out I was a Christian, all because they know Jesus Christ is my passion. Now we're in another ball game. That's Christian. And it's in that context that the apostle Peter addressed a letter to believers who just their identification with Jesus Christ and their determination to walk that out caused them to be marginalized, discriminated on, alienated. And so Peter had to write a letter to them and tell them, something good is happening to you, not something bad. But that doesn't necessarily do anything for you. So what he had to do is remind them that though there's no honor in your society, not even in the honor society, there's no honor in heaven's perspective, you're honored. First Peter was written just because there are things that are happening to God's people just because you're God's people. Matter of fact, it didn't happen until you were God's people. Dating used to be so simple until you and Jesus began hooking up. The job was a fun place to be until you and Jesus. Started hooking up. School was a place you wanted to be. Everybody liked you. So you and Jesus hooked up. I might be talking to myself and a couple people I know. Things went south when Jesus came on the scene. The only thing that began to go up was God's embrace of us because we went from being his enemies to being his children. And so the book of Peter is written to bring encouragement and hope. That's why he starts the book off with saying, oh, don't worry about it. Bless the God who's caused you, not all the trouble, even though that causes us trouble, (laughs) to be born again to a new hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That made them shout. That made them get excited. First Peter is written to people who felt like they were being play to the left. And that doesn't do much for us because we live in a society where if you don't like me, I say so, you ain't got to like me. But in a honor shame society. Now that's the kind of world this book was written in. Honor shame society where honor and shame meant more than physical pain. If you watch kung fu flicks, you see honor and shame society or culture lived out. Because two dudes will be fighting for about 30 minutes. Both of them got skills. Both of them are killing it. One dude gets knocked to the ground and then gets up and says, You win. I'm gonna kill myself now. <laughs> and he'll kill himself. But like, yo, you was killing it. Yo, don't don't kill yourself. Yo, he 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 got a lucky one in. The, the, You're not even scratched up. Why are you going to die? I lost to my shame. My brother will be back for you. (laughs) Honor and shame. So for the believers to say, they ain't even beat me up yet. They just don't like me. I'm just the shame of my family now. I'm the shame of my school now. I'm the shame of my community now. I could kill myself. Peter's written, hold on. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 7 says, wait. No honor from the world? There's honor for you who believe. No acceptance from the world, 2-9? God chose you to be his people, to be his nation, to be his priesthood. Y'all got to appreciate the beauty of this was written to combat inner voices that say my circumstances has me on the outs. But God says, don't worry, you're on my end. Now, when God is not much or you don't feel the shame that is identified with knowing him, this may not do as much for us. But for those of you who are feeling like everything went awry when Jesus came on the scene or when I amped up my commitment to him, honor to you who believe therefore there's this high privilege that Peter talks about that now he begins to give us some hard principles high privilege you're a people uh, you're God's highly cherished highly valued people and so with this high privilege he now introduces some high principles Pastor E last time began with verse 13 where it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution. And this was in a time where it was a pagan institution. It was a pagan emperor and he had pagan uh, governors. And so he says to God's people, even though you're God's people, that doesn't exempt you from having to subject yourselves to them. And so today we're going to keep looking because it's these we're, we're at a place where hard pill to a hard pill to swallow has been prescribed for us. I'm going to read our passage and then we're going to unpack it. Y'all with me? All right. Servants or slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Because Jesus Christ, excuse me, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued in trusting himself to him who judges rightly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. I want to talk about a low road and a high call, a low road and a high call. First of all, this is a hard pill to swallow. I hope you heard it. I hope you can tell why this is a hard pill to swallow because it says submit yourselves and not just the people who treat you right when you do it, but people who unfairly treat you. This goes against every inclination in us. Hard pills are interesting. When I was starting to work out and I just wanted to sort of like get up, I asked my brother, I said, how'd you get beefy? He said, aminos, amino acids. You have them in your body, but you can go to the store and you can get these pills. So I went. I copped GNC's, amino acids, 180 gram joints. The pills are like this. Hard pills to swallow. I really was unfaithful in those pills. Not because I didn't want their effect, they just were too hard to swallow. Then I think about some of the people that are in my life that have to, by prescription, take certain pills. I say they don't have the prerogative to duck pills no matter how hard they are to swallow. If this was optional so that you could be a Christian who goes to... like. I'm a mega Christian. I'm I'm chill, but if I swallow this pill, I'll be an extra Christian. But it's hard to swallow, and after all, I'm happy being just a Christian. So, like, we don't have an option here. This is one of those hard pills that we have to swallow. It's the dirty word in the church, or dirty word among Christians, submission. Submission, in and of itself, carries with it the idea of obedience. There's a way to translate this word, Pastor E. talked about it, Tasso. There's a way to translate it where it just means respect or defer. But it's hard to rob it of this inherent idea that it's obey. And we'll get to the hard pill. I'm glad I don't have to preach it next week when the wives are being addressed on the hard pills. <laughs> Praise God for you. Do- I'm glad you're the doctor in here, <laughs> Dr. Mason. As we get into this text, keep in mind there's something that this text is saying. There's something that it's not trying to address that we wish it were. There's something in this text that there's an assumption that's already built into the mindset of the people who would be hearing this, and they're the assumptions that we're bringing to it. Y'all got me? I need the lapel. I need the lapel. We got another one. Don't we have something? One of the background vocalists. One, two, yo, just kidding. Something about when you get a mic like this, you're supposed to say, yo. Today, I want to talk about three things, and I'm going to let you go. I want to talk about the mandate to submit. I want to talk about a motivation to submit, and I want to talk about, of course, Jesus our model of what it means to submit. First of all, let's read. Be subject, excuse me, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. First of all, the most common word for servant or slave in the New Testament is doulas. We have our very own Mac the doulas here. Mac the servant he, That goes to show you what he wanted to communicate In a braggadocious hip hop era He chose Mac the servant This is translated slave Right here this word is oiketes Oiketes is delineated Though it's a synonym for doulas, slave Just because what it does is it puts you in the scene of a house Or a social structure what this doing is doing is taking us out of just generic slavery, even though it applies to generic slavery. It's zooming us in to what goes on within a social structure or a class of people or the household. This whole pericope from ch- verses 18 to 25 is what's called a house code. A house code is something that Greek philosophers and writers used to always address whenever they were trying to talk to people about ethics. So if I, I was secular, I didn't know God, but I wanted to talk to you about ethics, I'd run down a house code. i say, now slaves, all right, now wives, all right, now husbands, all right, now children. That would be something that you would find in anybody's uh, classroom where they we're trying to teach on ethics, how you are to carry yourselves in our society. Follow me. The reason why that's that's important is because we're looking at what the biblical writer chose to do and how they chose to do it. The biblical writer says, I want to teach you how to, as a result of being God's people, how you ought to live. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what people do when they want to talk to you about how you ought to do what you ought to do. That's us. We use the same forms that the world uses. But when we open our mouths, sometimes we're in agreement with the world. Many times we're not. So he uses the house code. Once again, this is something that he's zooming us into the way we do what we do within our social sphere now y'all know that the church in this day and age we're not this we're central when we're being moved marginal but in the western society religion has a central place uh christianity more so and we're losing that but we still are used to the church that's not them remember they're on the margins they're on the outside and he's going to Peter is going to basically say, we don't want to stay there. You know, us, we like that. We don't need the world. We got our own clubs. We don't need the world. We got our own gym. We don't need the world. We got to, that wasn't their mindset. Their mindset was penetrate the world. Stay in. Stop being so controversial. The world won't want you to come in. Stop arguing all the time. Don't be disrespectful. Don't disrespect your man. The world knows that's wrong. Like this was the mindset of the church because the world, the the church wanted and the apostles wanted the church to know, even though they've got you on the margins, you don't want to stay there. You don't want to make matters worse. You don't want to get to the point where the world says, I'm glad we got rid of y'all. Y'all are against us anyway. So this is already an assumption that's brought to the text. Because everything that he says, he says, keep your behavior honorable among the Gentiles. That assumes you're going to be among the Gentiles. And it says, do it. He says, when you do that, matter of fact, just look real quick. Look up. Verse 12. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil about you, that assumes they're going to speak evil about us. They were speaking evil about them. When they do it, they'll see your good deeds. Says, and then they'll glorify God. Says, no, no, don't you don't like us? Don't like us. That's right. I told your emperor where he could. No, he ain't Jesus. Like that's no, honor the emperor. I know he's not Jesus, but honor him. I know he's pagan. Honor him. I know they don't like you. Don't not like them back. I know that there means subject yourselves. Well, what about us? The slave group. We're the lowest people in society, and it's hard for a player. <laughs> subject yourselves. So now, look, as soon as you hear slaves, subject yourselves to your masters, the first thing that comes up is slavery in America. So before we go any further, let's just address that. Y'all with me? Talk to me today. Come on, Lynn. I need to hear you, Lynn. B-E. Pastor E, excuse me. First of all, first century slavery and American slavery differ and the reason why I'm going to say this is because I want you to not impose your feelings about that slavery on this context. So I'm giving it a run that. First of all, race played no role. That in and of itself changes everything. Because if you enslave me just because of my race, we're in a whole nother realm. For them, it wasn't about race. Slavery was a recognized institution that wasn't necessarily rejected as inhumane by everyone. In fact, everyone was, they just, that's just the way it is, and that was, it was an understood role. Even the biblical writers assumed slavery wasn't going anywhere and never directly assaulted it. They told you, so since you're a slave, this is how you ought to live. But race played no role. Education was encouraged. One of the greatest problems with American slavery was it was clearly a a way to keep people down by keeping them uneducated. Sometimes people go into the army not because they're patriotic, but because of the GI Bill. Well, if this is the way I can get educated, don't mind giving up a few of my years. I know I gotta now leave. I know I got wife and kids and I gotta tell them goodbye. I know that it's gonna be dangerous. <laughs> I know I gotta duck. Like, but if this is gonna get me educated. So, in a system where you see benefits, you won't, and you won't reject the whole institution, just like we don't with serving voluntarily. So, education was encouraged, changes everything. Some slaves were more educated than their masters, changes everything. Many slaves carried out highly responsible social responsibilities. Changes everything. We used to, yes, sir, master, don't look at me. I won't look at you, sir. Oh, but would you like me to get your tea? Like, that's not, like, go over there, build a cotton, and you're like, oh, man, come on. You're going to tell me to obey him? Like, that's not the slavery we're talking about. We're talking about a slavery that had the potential to have somebody saying, excuse me, sir, did you know that the Pythagorean theorem, what? Man, get back to work. You be messing my head up with them big words. That's the master talking to the slave. <laughs> <laughs> Pythagorean theorem. You crazy. Slaves could own property. Changes everything. You won't necessarily reject it. You chilling in a crib. Smarter than your master. <laughs> Educated. Not in and of itself when you hear slavery through our context, but still you were slave, but wait, wait, just think about them, religious and cultural traditions were the same as uh, those who were free, so it's not like they could tell, like, man, because we slaves, they got us down here, like, everything seemed equal in some senses, now, we uh, don't, don't get it twisted, they were still slaves, and we'll talk about that, no laws prohibited public assembly of slaves, Wade in the water, Wait in the water. All of those Negro spirituals was cold words because they couldn't get together. This is how we're going to get together now. I'm going to spark up something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I got one. Wade in the water. He coming. Like all of these things were, but then they could get together. A whole bunch of slaves playing volleyball, right? <laughs> no law, um, the majority, oh yeah. Now look, and many of them, could expect if they were born in slavery they could expect to be freed by the age of 30 if they were urban slaves could get up enough money with the help of their master to free themselves changes everything cuz you still can change what your state is through the right means we'll get to that nevertheless they didn't have legal position nevertheless it's true they were at the mercy of their owners nevertheless untreatment was common Nevertheless, many people were in slavery not by their own volition, captured in war, kidnapped, born into slavery household. Nevertheless, they were the property of the owner. The owner could brand them, could sexually abuse them. I mean, this did happen. Nevertheless, many of them lived miserable lives. (laughs) And despite the claims of the New Testament scholars, one scholar said, no, it was just as inhumane as our slavery. But my point is, at the time, when you when you see the writers assuming that not only is slavery a given, and they never directly condemn it, but what they do is they subvert it another way. They they booby trap and they plant ways to see, I believe, the structure ultimately will be uh loosened when the structure is. Gets carried away with sin. I'll give you this. We were talking about sin being a reproach to any people. Hip hop was on the rise as one of the America's populous form of music. It got so rancid and it was so continually evil that the NBA began to ban its expression. Next thing you know, other places begin to bend the expression. Next thing you know, Foot Locker stopped playing. And now you go in, it's like country and western, literally. I remember in the urban community, you go in now, it's hard to find hip-hop. in a lot of urban stores uh, or urban communities where they used to use hip-hop because the sin. And whenever the sin and the atrocities of a system become, so, like, eclipse its ability to claim, nah, this is a legitimate God uses that to bring it down. So rather than going out and bringing it down, a lot of times it is the example of righteousness in the midst of it that brings the shame to the institution that actually ends up bringing it down. And so if we look today, we look at Peter talking to slaves about a godly response, which actually would in turn end up working against the demise of the institution where the institution starts wilding out. Y'all with me? All right. So we're not talking about American slavery. We're talking about an accepted institution that though it had problems and wasn't the best place and was the lowest place on the totem pole. This is actually the place where God says I can leverage the first century slave who is the low who takes who's the lowest person on the totem pole to mirror the place that God has called his people to be. So every Christian can take note of what's true of what he's saying about the slave. I won't completely exhaust it because in chapter 3 he's going to generalize it to every Christian who's being called to, um, to submit under unjust circumstances. So today we're talking about slaves. We're talking about people in low positions who are there and who they get unjust treatment. And this is how we ought to respond. So first is the mandate, be subject for the Lord, excuse me, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. It's a command. Even like this is used as an imperative to say, you ought to submit. You ought to come up under the authority of your masters with all due respect. And guess what he says? Keep reading, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust also to the unjust. No secret that Christians have been called to a higher standard. We are called to exist on a low road but God places on us a high standard. What else would make you embrace this? Submission is hard enough. Submission is To a master is conceivable if he's good, if she's good. Submission to a unreasonable and unjust master is inconceivable, unnatural, especially if you have the power to retaliate. He says, that's the high standard I call for people who often find themselves on the lowest road. It's a mandate. We don't discuss it. It is what it is. Everybody knows that that's true of Christians. A Muslim wiles out, nobody says, and he calls himself a Muslim. Did you see him being mean to her? But soon as a Christian loses it in public, and he calls himself a Christian. Everybody knows that you are called to a high standard, even though you're often on the lowest road. And that's why he looks at them, the slave, the lowest person in their society, and says, submit. Even when they trip on you. The mindset and the motivation to submit. Keep reading. Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering Unjustly, it says, this is a gracious thing. This is a commendable thing. If God comes to mind before you flip, if God comes to mind and now you no longer flip, because one thing to, I was going to flip, but then God came to mind. It's another thing to walk like that so much you don't flip because God is in mind. What do you mean? God's agenda. It was God who says, wait, they already got you on the side, but I don't want you on the side. I want you in the midst and I want me to get glory out of you being in the midst. So they may put you out. Don't make matters worse. He said, what good is it if you suffer because you tripped? See, don't trip because that's just going to make you suffer, which is going to move my missional agent out of the mix of where I'm sending them. I want glory. If that's in mind, I would trip, but God's glory. I would retaliate, but God's glory. But Christians' reputation, we're already known for, I'll put this religion down and lay you out. See, that's what, but when somebody doesn't put their religion down and doesn't lay you out, it's like, hmm. Have you ever been proud of yourself when you didn't react, retaliate, but really, it's just because you didn't think you could beat him? <laughs> Yo, watch, watch out, <laughs> boy! You better be glad I'm a Christian. <laughs> but then some little dude do that. I'm just saying, though. No, but you heard what I, I'm saying. Th- oh, you still should say sorry. Like you wouldn't do that if it was all big and you didn't think you could. Win. He says not, nah, but there's no credit to you if it. Because God's glory. If it's just because you knew you couldn't beat him, eh, but I didn't retaliate because I'm a church going man. No. This is the high standard. Set in the context of social existence where you do life. This is where they spent their time. This is why we don't have a modern day slave system so... People immediately apply this to employee employer relationships, but it could be anyone who is lower than somebody else and called to come up under them. It could be here. It's when we say so-and-so is in charge of the such-and-such ministry and then you're called to come up and submit, obey, do what they say. Not unqualified, it says for the sake of the Lord, and the parameters are that if they tell you to sin, you don't have to sin, but if they tell you to do something just because you don't like to do it, and you feel this sense of freedom, he says, no, I want my people who find themselves on the low end of the spectrum to come up under and submit, which inherently is obey, even if they're unreasonable, that's hard pills, finally. I mean, I knew when I said it, there was no wow, mm. Like before, nobody wowed mm, but now. Oh, uh, you put it in perspective. You were talking about first century and slavery, but you're talking about the ministry here, them. <laughs> That's why this is beautiful. Low road, high call. God did all that. He don't pump us up for nothing. You're a chosen priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen nation. The demons are scared. How do you like, oh, I'm the shot, God? Says, okay, bet. But now watch what I call you to. Low living. <laughs> Not retaliating. Submitting to the unjust, puny, little dude who was promoted as your boss. Who can't beat you up who comes out his grill like my man on The Incredibles. (laughs) Bob, Bob, think of the shareholders. Remember how small he was? And eventually he just just grabbed, like, God says, don't do that. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Jesus was this. We're going to get to that. But the problem with Jesus, this is a problem for us. Peter showed us that. As Peter rebuked Jesus for talking about, I've got to subject my, he's Messiah, y'all understand. In the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, the longing for a triumphant king to get the pagan rule off of Israel, God's chosen people's neck off, they wanted that. So they drummed up, not didn't drum it up, through the scriptures, the dominance and the power of Messiah was the preferred side of the Messiah that everybody wanted. They did not want somebody who would come and bear up under the same rule that they were hoping Messiah would come and release them from. So when Jesus came on the scene and he began to save Gentiles John the Baptist because the context of John the Baptist saying are you the one or should we expect another is when Jesus raised the dead of a Gentile and helped a soldier who was a Gentile so, and it says, and this got back to John, and John said, because John even said the axe is at the root. He's coming. I, I baptize y'all with water, but he's coming with fire. Judgment is on the way. So, when judgment and vengeance didn't come right away, but coming up under the same rule and not retaliating and not changing and waving his messianic wand, poof, get out of here, Caesar, ping, I'm here. Like, they were like, something's not right because we have a problem with this. Even after Jesus rebuked Peter, showed him his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter still didn't get it, took out a sword and like, you ain't going... Because we we can't do this. We don't let people get over on us. Jesus said, I could call the pastor. He said, I could call the legions. I'm demonstrating something for you. I'm demonstrating that there is a mindset that God wants his lofty people to demonstrate. It's God's way. And it's unfair. Mm. Lost my place. But not only is that our mindset or our motivation. Keep reading. Lost my place. Well, read while I look for my place so you don't see I'm looking for my place. For what credit, verse 20, is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing to God. For to you, excuse me, for to this you have been called. This is the calling of God's kids. When I grew up my father, great dude, everybody loved him, everybody loves him, everybody saw a single parent father, he raised, me on, he raised me and my brother on his own, the problem is they never saw the toughness of his standard, well, but you, you know, we all go out, he buy everybody stuff, they'd be like, man, psh, your father's the bomb, I'd be like, I mean, that's true a little bit, but, <laughs> like, if y'all weren't here, he wouldn't be buying us nothing, he be, oh, I've got to teach you how to live frugally. <laughs> but when they're around, so some almost like the standard for them was different than the standard for me. When they're around, ice cream for everyone. When you're around, learn to do without. When they came over, why don't y'all go out and play? When they left, now get back to the books. High standards for God's people. To this you were called. This is the same one that called us out of darkness into his light. What's in his light? A mandate, submit. Wow! I need that. I need that preacher voice. And he, he already assumes that we'll have a problem with it, but he also assumes that the Lord Jesus has provided us not only an example, but the internal grace. That it takes, the internal grace that it takes. Still looking for my place. Look what he says here. He says, He says here, keep reading verse 21 For to this you have been called. Why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He's given us an example that we might follow in his steps. So implicitly, he's given us a command, right? Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who who judges rightly. All right, now check this out. Jesus Christ is our model, okay? We have a mandate, can't get out of it. Our motivation is it's gracious in God's eyes he likes it he he receives it as an aroma when you bear up under unjust treatment he likes that he views it as something that's commendable it's good in his sight it is the only response that's good in his sight what credit is it this is our motivation that That's why we have that high status. That's why we have all of these gifts. That's why we have all this Holy Ghost power. It's so we will have the same power that it takes to walk on the low road that the king of kings and the king of glory exercised when he came. We have a model of what it looks like. Now the person would say, okay, but w- go back to that slavery thing. Because I still have a problem with the way this was used during American slavery. Because these are the verses that people use to support that the American slaves shouldn't buck the system. I believe that what the text is not doing is telling you not to buck the system. I believe that what... or. or Not to have anything to say about injustice. I believe that the text is saying that injustice ultimately can only be solved by God and God's avenue. And God's avenue is something in particular, it's a certain parameter that you're allowed to operate in without violating the principle of this text. And this is the parameters that I think uh, that we don't that we're not violating. What does it say? It says Jesus showed us his example by when being reviled. He reviled. Excuse me. First, he committed no sin. You can't sin just because sin is being done to you. That's a parameter. So sin is off the table. Now, we're going to get real hedged in. (laughs) But that doesn't mean we can't do anything. You can't sin. You can't deceive. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. When reviled, he didn't revile in return. You can't retaliate. You can't get out of your bad situation and then go back and inflict anything on them. When he suffered, he did not threaten. You can't cause a scene. Like, boy, I'm telling you, when I get out of here, I'm all All right, I ain't going to do nothing now, but I'm... <laughs> Here's what you can do. Trust. Trust himself to the one who judges rightly. You say, but that's doing nothing. <laughs> no. In the Bible, trust or faith is never without works. Therefore, I believe there are works... That can happen that don't violate this principle. One of the things that we believe is there are acceptable ways a person tries to deal with systemic injustices because the text is not saying like absolutely stay up under all injustice without looking for a way for that injustice to be dealt with. What it's saying is, and until you, this God intervenes, you have a parameter, and that is bear up under it without violating any of those parameters. I was talking to a brother yesterday, me and Sha. we were saying one of the reasons why Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy in the civil rights movement and Malcolm X's uh, um, uh, legacy look differently and are received differently (laughs) one of them has a national holiday one of them is looked at as a hero one of them is quoted in churches like and I think it has something to do with the way they began to shake the load that was on their back one had a philosophy of don't retaliate and one was (laughs) caught with the Uzi to listen by any means necessary see how the Bible says no no this it ain't any means necessary One said, yeah, but the white man's a devil and this is oppression. Like, just real mouthy, real. And I mean, understand, I wasn't there. And some of you who are old enough to be back there, I know the emotion was speaking, but that's why this is supernatural grace we're talking about. And that's why God says, now all I'm telling you is there will be a different outcome when you do it my way versus when you do it your way. So... In conclusion, in conclusion, people say, how come the New Testament writers didn't do something about this? First of all, they knew for a, like the birth of the church, this was just unrealistic. At least in their mind, they they saw it as unrealistic. The fullness of time was not right. Sometimes you ask, why didn't Jesus come back in Abraham's day and just speed up stuff? Well, he did, and then we talk about the fullness of time. God is this God of process. God has this plan. God is letting stuff play out. It just doesn't happen when you want it to happen. Does it doesn't happen when you think you, like, if I was God, I would have just, as soon as they sinned, I would have came down, died on the cross real quick, and just raised up a new generation with there just being Adam and Eve. Like... That's not God. He didn't do it. He waited. He didn't just wait to Abraham. He didn't just wait to David. When David was dancing and stuff, he could have came down, boom, died on the cross, boom, and just saved everybody right there. He didn't do that. Daniel and lines, then he could have came in. Nehemiah, I mean Ezra, he could have did it at any point. He waits because God is a God of process. God is a God of a plan. And so what God doesn't let you do is just come and shake injustice off and change everything in a blink of an eye and So when Jesus comes, he did not do what ultimately got done, which was that whole slavery system was abolished. Why is that? So at the time, the writers said, look, slavery is slavery. This is how we ought to act to glorify God with this supernatural, unorthodox way of displaying that our supernatural powers in us, just like our our hero, our Lord, our, our Lord did. This is the way God wants to get glory. The New Testament writers never commended slavery. They never said, yeah, man, you know, and slavery is a good thing. It just assumes it. So one, don't get mad at the New Testament because it accepted its reality, but never commended it. Thirdly, they never forbid its critique, but stress how to deal with it. They don't say don't critique. They just make it clear that there's a way to do it and there's a way to not do it. And the socially accepted way Is a consideration because everything they're doing, they're doing based on socially acceptable ways to do something. Um, God will use appropriately applied means to fight injustice. Previously, he said that God has come up with the state or the government as a way to deal with injustice. Now, of course, when the government is the problem, now you need God, and God will intervene. What did he do? He would come in, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for what injustice he uh He destroyed the Canaanites for what ungodliness uh, God comes in and he tapples, even Iraq right now probably can like you know look even though God like God allowed and God has used bugness and false information and all kinds of stuff, most people say, yeah, but he was bad. <laughs> So God knows how to intervene, but other than that, there are acceptable ways that even the state will tell you, well, if you have a problem, then you got to, and if you got to, and you take those means because God does use the state. But lastly, this is what you, and I'm closing, beautiful. This is what you and I can rely on. Turn real quick to 2 Thessalonians 1. I'm going to close with this. your finger there as the scriptures continues says that the Lord Jesus didn't do all of that he didn't retaliate he didn't revile he left it as an example but instead like Isaiah 53 the Lord Jesus lived out the epitome of what the suffering servant would do he bore our sins in his body and he goes right into a way to preach the gospel to you and me. He says, not only did the Lord Jesus not retaliate, all his suffering was working out a divine plan. And all of our suffering is working out a divine plan. He says, the divine plan for Jesus was that he would bear the sins in his body of you and I. And if you're a sinner in here today, there's only one Savior who claims to have taken sin and borne it in his body that he may save sinners. He said, yo, he was bruised for us, not for himself, for us. He says, by the stripes we have, you have been healed. He's talking to believers there. <laughs> Healed from, so in other words, if Jesus wouldn't have applied the very thing that we're being asked to apply, we'd still be in our sin, we'd still be sin sick, and we'd still be in need of redemption. He says, and you were veering off, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Here's the safety net, and I close with this. But for all of you who are going through unjust suffering... In the name of Jesus, the Christ, God says, take the appropriate means, you know, to, you know, see justice take place. Rely on God, the way God uses the state and the way God uses a righteous lifestyle. But don't worry. At the end, here's what you can bank on. Starting with verse three. We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So that puts us all in the same category. Look what he says. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, high call, low road, for which you are also suffering, mandate, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant you relief to you who are excuse me, grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on all who do not those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because of excuse me, because our testimony to you was believed. In other words, he says, at the end God's going to afflict all who afflict his people. Sobering, but comforting to the person who says, "But I want to afflict them for afflicting me." If you're not a Christian, you're outside of everything we talked about today. You can only react natural You can try to do what Christians do, but you won't have the power to do what Christians do. And you don't have God fending for you like the Christian has a God that's fending for them. He bears sin. He heals wounds. And today we just pray that the hard pill of submitting to authority no matter how good or unjust it seems will be swallowed we have a mandate then our motivation is but it's good when God sees godly response up under suffering our model is Jesus Father we thank you for this day we thank you for first Peter we thank you for-